0: A couple of months ago, I wrote an article that appeared in the ER called The Churched and the De-Churched. We reprinted that article in the bulletin about three weeks ago. You may have seen it. Uh, You can find it on our website. Uh, In that article, I pointed out the the bare facts that we have been talking about for the last month, and that is that uh, we are... Uh, one of the most de-churched regions in the country. Chico-Redding has lost about 41% of people who had, at one time, a pattern of church attendance but have dropped out. And this article, I, I painted the picture of why. What do I hear from people who have dropped out of attending church but who feel called to come back? One of the things that I hear most commonly, and that I wrote about in the article, is the fact that people don't feel safe at church. Churches become cesspools of gossip and slander, and people have felt that their reputations have been compromised in churches, and uh, that has very often uh, led them to leave churches. So, uh, one of the, the points in the article was, I hear from de-churched pe- people that churches need to be safe. That week I got an email. I want to read this email to you, or portions of it. I read your piece in the Saturday paper about the churched and the de-churched, and to keep it short and simple, I could not disagree with you more. It seems to me that you are asking the true God-fearing Christians, to buffer their beliefs to accommodate the world. There are no safe spaces. There is only the truth or a lie. There is only right or wrong. He goes on uh, later um, in this email... He says, I think we need to preach God's word, including the parts that make people run for safe spaces. There are none. It is time for God loving people to stand up and not be intimidated by the fact that someone might be uncomfortable. There is only one truth, and I, for one, will never water it down in the interest of conforming to the world. Well, We for sure disagree, so I will end this now. If I've misinterpreted what you were saying in your article, I apologize. In Christ's love. If you want to know what I am talking about that drives people away from the church, if you want to know what it looks like for us to not have regard for the offended brothers and sisters and not take them seriously. If you want to know what the shame of giving the answer before you've heard the matter looks like, if you want to know what it is uh, to handle things unwisely, that email is Exhibit A. When I said in that article that churches should be safe and said specifically safe from gossip and slander, I'm summarizing large chunks of the New Testament. These are the commands of God. This guy ignored that entirely, got triggered by the word safe, and proceeded to rant against safe spaces as if I were saying that churches should become places where no one will ever be offended, where they will not be offended by the gospel, where they will not be offended by the truth, as if that was what I was advocating. In other words, he ignored my article, got triggered by the word safe and gave the rant, the speech that he wanted to give because he's been watching too much Fox News about safe spaces on college campuses and he's just irritated by it and he's, he's annoyed by it. So he wants to go after anybody who's talking about being safe. Maybe I should have put a trigger warning at the front of the article that evangelicals might be triggered by seeing the reality of what we are doing and how we are coming across in this society. I can't think of a better, I can't say any better than that guy did what the problem is. The problem is we've got our speeches, we want to give them, and we don't care whether they're on topic or not. We've got our rants, We've got our opinions, and we just want to mouth off about them whether anyone's listening or not. And the hard news is, they're not. And even harder, nor should they. We need to do better, and that's why we are in training to heal. Why do we want to take the offended brother and sister seriously? Why do we want to spend our time listening to people? Um, uh, And the reason is, the purpose of all of this is to form a partnership with the people around us. What is a partnership? A partnership is when two or more people decide we're going to work together on this problem. Partnership is really a very simple thing. It's shoulder to shoulder, it's not one person giving orders, it's two people at the same level, at the same time, looking at the same problem, saying, let's do something about this together. Uh, Up on the ridge on Thursday night, we had a wonderful meeting with uh, our folks uh, who live up in Paradise, and it was at Dennis Till's house, and after the meeting, Dennis said, hey, could I borrow some of you guys? I need to uh, move this trampoline from where it was, uh, somewhat downhill from his house, up closer to the house. So a bunch of us went out there, and you know, it's amazing what happens when you form a partnership. This was a big trampoline, and no one could really move the thing by themselves, but you get four or five guys, and they just kind of know what to do. We we didn't uh, all line up on one end of the trampoline. We just, we, you, you get it. There, we're not going to push the thing uphill. We, we spread out. We just, no one told us to do that. Dennis wasn't barking orders. He's a very nice guy. So we, and, and we, we didn't, I don't know if we counted to three or anything. We just all kind of picked the thing up and pretty soon it was up the hill. Partnership. That's what partnership looks like. It's a very simple thing just working together about a common problem. Now, suppose, suppose we got out to that, that uh, trampoline down the hill where, where it was set up, and suppose one of us had said, ''Dennis, you never should have set the trampoline up down here in the first place. If you had set it up in the right place, if you had thought ahead, We wouldn't have to go down here in the smoke and the 100-degree heat and move this thing. In other words, if if we engaged in recriminations for all of the evil that Dennis had brought on our lives that night, (laughs) uh, (laughs) then, uh, you know, where would we get? We would spend all our time arguing about where the trampoline should have been set up, not partnership. How are we doing evangelism today, friends? Partnership or not partnership? Are we going side by side with people in order to work on a common problem, or are we engaging in recriminations? Well, you never should have done that. You're wrong about that. You never should have participated in the lifestyle you're in, you never should have done these things. Which tone are we in here? Partnership or non-partnership? What we're striving to do in this series is train to heal. And that means moving from standing over people to standing beside them and partnering with them about the issues in their life. I say it this way because healing is a cooperative art It requires partnership between the one helping with the healing and the one who needs healing. There's got to be a meeting of the minds there about what the problem is. Think of your doctor, uh, spending time with you and asking questions about the symptoms you're experiencing and going over tests so that you can arrive at a common understanding of the problem and then you can cooperate in the solution. Or at least, uh, ideally, that's the way it's supposed to be. So, what we are aiming at is to become partners with people who have looked at church life and said, Done. I'm out. And who then have said, I know I said I'm out, but I am grieving being out and I need to come back. I need to understand who the Lord is. I need a church. I still need this in my life, as hurtful as it has been. If we can form partnerships with those folks, then we're doing our job. We've given you a tool this morning to start some conversations. Some of you have already started these conversations. Uh, somebody was telling me this week about uh, talking with a professional in, in his life, uh, uh, handles retirement or something, and telling him about the church and different things. And it, it opened up a whole conversation about the man's history of going to church why he goes to church infrequently if at all and all of these kinds of things just very simple kind of conversation opening that up the tool we've given you this morning is an invitation to the sermon series that begins next week and the title of the series is watering hope we've got hope in christ but It's in dry places. It's in hostile places. Our hope struggles. We struggle to keep up hope. We need to water it. How do we do that? How do we grow in hostile places where you feel like the people in your life are against you? or the government is against you, or some, uh, the economy is against you, whatever it may be, can you grow in those circumstances? We're going to say yes, we can. We can grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to take this invitation and say, hey, we're going to start talking about this. I'm not sure everything the pastor is going to say, but I'm interested in this. Maybe you would be too. Would you come with me? And talk about hope, talk about how hope is threatened in your life, and the difficulty you have in nourishing it and watering it. See what conversations and what partnerships might emerge from just that kind of an opening. What we're going to talk about this morning is the challenge that is in front of us, the challenge ultimately of saying the right words to someone who needs healing. Let's assume that we've done a lot of listening. Let's assume that we've formed a partnership with a person. That person knows you're on their team. You're for them, not against them. Because they've experienced your patience and your generosity and your kindness. And. In the context of that, you've formed that partnership where you're saying, yeah, we think we underst- we, we've got some understanding of what the problem is here. and So let's work together toward healing about this problem in your life, or toward this goal, this aspiration in your life. It may not be a problem at all. It may be something that they want to see happen in their life as an aspiration. Whatever it may be, let's assume that we're doing all of that and there comes a moment when you have something you need to say to that person. That's a challenge. Because what you say to them might be sort of confrontational. It might be... uh, a, a calling out of a belief that they have about God that is not true. It might be identifying something that you see in their life where you're, you're hoping, praying, I've earned the right to say this thing about what I see in their life. That's a challenge. It's a challenge a lot of times we don't want And it's a challenge that uh, we would rather take up on Facebook or our medium of choice for venting our opinions instead of dealing with actual people. Because when you're dealing with an actual person, you can't just mouth off, you can't just give the rant that that you you might want to give. So, um, how do we take up this challenge? That's the question this morning in our text is Proverbs fifteen twenty three. It's a text about joy, pleasure, delight. It reads this way. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. That's a challenging proverb. We're going to look at it in detail. Then we're going to jump to the New Testament. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to see how Paul takes the very same directions and gives those directions to us in the context of what Christ has done for us and what he has called us to do in the world. So... um, already got some questions, so let me pause here and see what we've got. Scripture from Isaiah 50 and verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Isn't that beautiful? That's Isaiah 50 and verse 4 that our brother sends to us exactly on point. We want to sustain those around us who need healing. Sustain them with a word. Question, would you say that the person who would counter your idea of partnership evangelism, what would you say to this person uh, if they say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? I would say that uh, Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians to Christians, believers, who are seeking to join their lives with unbelievers, both in marriage and in joining with false teachers. And so I would say, if the issue is, are you going to build your Christian life on falsehood or truth, then I would simply underline what Paul says and preach it, and as best I can, argue for it. There can be no partnership that way. But the same Paul says to churches, reminds them of what he was like when he was with them before they were saved. You know what what image he uses? I was among you like a nursing mother. I believe is the image he uses in 1 Thessalonians. Um, He talks in 2 Corinthians, the very same context as that passage. He talks about we, motivated by the love of Christ, we appeal to you. Be reconciled to God. This is an appeal from a long side. It's another word for encouragement. And so... Paul, um, Paul would agree with me, basically, is the way I would put that. <laughs> Just to keep it short and sweet. Good questions. So let's talk about, Proverbs 15:23: to make an apt answer. There's an old word, apt." What does it mean? Have you ever listened to a singer? And you, you come into a place, or you switch on the radio or the iPod, whatever it may be, and that song, that melody, that voice, the lyric, the delivery, just hits you right between the eyes. And you say, that's me. I recognize that. And there's more there than just hearing the lyrics and saying, yes, I understand what this singer is talking about, and I see, I make the equation between what is described in the lyric and my life. No, that's not what's happening there. When you're listening to a song, it's the whole emotional package that hits you. Because the singing is just, it's so in tune. It's delivered so well. The words are crafted and formed so right. And the whole atmosphere of the song is so apt that it hits you and you say, that's me. There's joy and recognition and comfort in that, that's what it means to be apt. There's just this recognition that this is what I needed to hear at this moment right now. What is it to be apt? It's like keys. A key goes into the lock and it turns and it opens the door. Why? Because that key was very precisely cut to fit that lock. Not a bunch of other locks. It doesn't fit all the houses on the street, or it shouldn't. If it does, it's a tool for something else. If it's your key, it gets you inside a specific place, and it was cut precisely to do exactly that. That's what it means to be apt. You're talking with someone, you're wrestling with a problem, you're going through it with them, and all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on, and it's like you have the key, and where you were, shut out from solving that problem. Someone says something, and it is so right, so to the point, so exactly suited, to the situation and the individual that the problem opens to you because it's been unlocked. That's what it means to be apt. Now this says that to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. That's deeply true. When you're in the situation where you're the one who says those words and everyone in that situation says, that's what we've been missing. That's what we needed to hear. This unlocks the situation. When you're that person, you feel a welling up of joy, satisfaction, worth, vitality the relationship that you have with that person or the other people in the room, it deepens, the trust deepens, people start talking more, they start making new connections. Joy. To give an apt answer is a joy to a person. Now you can tell when people are talking what gives them joy. Sometimes, it is their goal to wound and to wound someone gives them joy, you can see it. They physically change when they see that they have wounded someone. That You can see that they feel suddenly empowered. They feel suddenly that they've got charge of things and all is right with the world because I'm on top now. You see how perverse that is? You can see it on TV. You can see it in the way people talk to each other, in the way they argue with each other. You can see and hear what gives them joy. Here's my question to you. What right now in your speech with other people gives you joy? What makes you feel like you're walking on air? What makes you, what, what gives you that feeling, I have value in this situation. I bring something to the table here. Where is that joy coming from? This is cause for very close self-inspection to ask am I a healing partner or am I a punishing tormentor and you know the, the way we've described this series is straight talk about evangelism so here is some if it gives you a kind of pleasure to condemn then you can fool yourself all you want that you are being faithful to the truth but to the truth of the gospel you are betraying jesus christ he did not come to condemn he did not come to destroy He came for reconciliation. And so what we're really talking about here is getting ourselves into that trusted, important position in someone's life where we're their partner. And when we say things that are apt, it gives clarity and healing to the other person and it gives joy to us because we see the healing, the clarity, the work of the Holy Spirit happening right before our eyes. This is the call of God on our life. We need to do it more than ever to ask the Lord to give us the wisdom to give an answer that is apt. Sing the song that is right. Pull out the key that will open the lock. Now, he doesn't stop there. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, a timely word, the right time. Uh, we spent some time uh, earlier this year talking about seasons, talking about how God views time. And uh, you'll recall that when we really looked at what Proverbs and Ecclesiastes was saying about time, minutes are too small, hours are too small. God measures in days, years, generations. He measures by seasons. So if you're purposing in your heart and in your practice to have a season of listening to someone so that you can have a a season of partnership with them, then you're looking for things to say to that person that is timely in that season that builds the partnership instead of tearing it down, that strengthens the other person instead of weakening them. Uh, So this is saying there's this apt answer, a particular quality that an apt answer has that makes the key go in smoothly and turn the lock and open it. That quality is timeliness, it's the right time. Have you ever tried to say a hard thing by text? Have you ever tried to communicate a hard message over the telephone? When the other person is kind of between things and you're trying to get a word in edgewise in their life. How does that go? Not well, thank you. It's it's bad because it's the wrong time. It's the wrong season for that kind of message. There's another time of day, there's another medium, there's another way. And it's it's not going to be texting, and it's not going to be email, it's not going to be a voicemail message, it's not going to be a phone call. It's going to be the face-to-face. There's a decision we need to make about the words that we speak. Is this the season for that? if it's not should we say words out of season well maybe there is a time for that i mean paul says to timothy when he charges him about his preaching preach the word in season and out of season there is a time to say things that are true when you're pretty sure they won't be received and they're out of phase with what's happening there is a time for that but you want to know how to do it in a timely way before you start breaking those rules, right? You have to know the rules before you can break them. So, my objective is, is always to be very good, skilled, at saying things at the right time, when a person is ready, when a person is open. And to use that timeliness rule instead of barging in with what's on my mind and saying it and doing the equivalent of walking out and slamming the door. Um, Again, straight talk about evangelism. We need to realize that when we talk about the grace of God, the power of God, when we talk about the the love of God, these are not realities that you can just slip onto a card or a tract and drop on somebody's table on your way out. I mean, that might be a good thing to do. The Lord uses things like that. But hadn't you better invest in the partnership with that person? Really move in deep and spend the time to become trusted so that when you say something about who God is when you say something about His love and His forgiveness that there is an openness on the other side of that statement to say what you're saying doesn't make sense to me right now and as you're saying it I kinda don't like it but Because you are saying it, I want to hear more. See the difference? You can can say things that are very hard to hear in the context of a trusting partnership with somebody. Um, Our evangelism is drive-by shooting, bottom line. We want the bumper sticker or the t-shirt to put it across. And as your pastor, I'm here to tell you, those days are finished, if they ever were for us at all. They're done now. You can't do that. You'll have to invest your life in someone, or it's not going to work. I know the answer. But the Spirit of God can use all of these things. Yes, he can. He also used a donkey. It's there in the Old Testament. He made a donkey talk. The scene I want most to have witnessed in the whole Bible. I want to see that one. Don't be a donkey. Don't be that kind of tool. Our God raised us up to be witnesses. To his grace and power. So, timeliness. A word in season, that timely word, how good it is. You may be filling in how sweet it is. It's not the same thing. Think about that word good, especially in the context of the scriptures. Dennis was taking us through uh, the first chapters of Genesis this morning in, uh, in the Life Builder class. There's a word that keeps coming up in Genesis chapter 1. You know what it is? Good. God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness, and he saw that it was good. Good for what? Good for life. Good for sustaining life. For being fruitful and abundant. So then God does all sorts of other things, day by day, he creates more, he shapes more, and each day, he looks at what he had done, and he says, God saw that it was good. It's gonna sustain life. It's going to build life, it's going to nourish, it's going to create abundance. That's what that word means. So he comes to the human beings. He makes male and female in his image, blesses them and says, you are like me in the creation. You are stewards now of everything that you see in this garden and you are to extend this garden over the face of the whole earth, be fruitful and multiply. And God saw that it was Pretty good. Very good. Very good. What does that mean? It means the goodness, the abundance, the fruitfulness, the effectiveness, the nourishing that is going to come out of this is going to be intensely good. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good. It is. See what Solomon is saying? Pulls out this old, ancient word. A word about flourishing. And so this apt word is a life-giving word that encourages, nourishes, feeds, waters, that... um, gives and conveys life, brings clarity and light where there's darkness. That's what this word does. How good that is. Have you experienced this? Where someone says in your life something that is the apt answer, the key, the song at the right moment, and they say that word, and all of a sudden there's a kind of flourishing and fruitfulness that comes out of that. Have you experienced this? You're awfully still. Can I put it to you? This is a human need. Good words. Apt words. It could be that what we do as evangelism is sharing the gospel in drive-by fashion or in critical and condemning fashion. Maybe we do that because that's all we've ever experienced. So like with everything we've learned about wisdom in Proverbs, wisdom may be heart change at a very deep level where we approach the people around us differently because God suddenly shows us there is this other way to talk and be spoken to and receive good. And it is not the way of death and condemnation. Look at the Proverbs around this one very quickly in chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 4, a gentle tongue is what? A tree of life back to the garden, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Look at verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And um, verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Isn't that wonderful? If you're saying today, I don't really know what that apt answer is for the people in my life. I just don't know. I got to think about that. I can't make a quick decision about what to say to my kids or to my spouse or to my co-worker. This is, I got to think about this. you realize what this is saying? That's righteous. The righteous ponder how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. This whole chapter is rich with wisdom from god about the apt answer and the joy that comes out of it let's turn to ephesians chapter 4. just going to check to see if i have any questions in the queue not right now ephesians chapter 4. look with me at verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29-32. I want you to look at how Paul describes our speaking and the purpose of it. As we've been training to heal, the challenge in front of us is to speak words that go right to the heart of Christ's purpose for who we are and why we're here our challenge is even deeper. It is to speak no other words. No other words. But those that go to the heart of Christ's purpose for us and for our witness here in this time and place. Verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting So that's going to be talk that encourages people to sin, talk that is uh, riddled with foul jokes, foul language. Uh, That's going to be talk that is uh, filled with false teaching, perhaps. Well, maybe. Why don't we let Paul define what he means by corrupt talk? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. You realize the implication of what he's saying there? If it is not good for building up, then it is corrupting. It of changes the way I think about corrupting talk. It's not just about not using four-letter words. It's not just about not using uh, coarse jokes or any of the things that we normally think about as corrupting talk. What he's saying here is, if it doesn't build the person you're talking to, then there's only one other thing it could be doing, and that is tearing them down. Corrupting them, eating away at their strength, eating away at their understanding of God's grace, eating away and undermining their understanding of light versus darkness and truth truth versus falsehood. If it isn't building them up, Paul says, it's tearing them down. So let nothing corrupting come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. This is another word for edification. Um, To edify each other is not to make one another feel good. Uh, It is to add to, supplement, build up. Uh, When when you build a house or a building, you make it taller and you make it stronger and you, you make it able to bear more weight, you increase the size and strength and power of that building. So Paul says, say the things that increase the strength of the person you're talking to. Well, only if they're Christians. If they're non-Christians, you can tear them down. What? What is he going to say here in chapter 5 a little bit later at the end of verse 8? Walk as children of light. Where? In a dark world that doesn't know Jesus Christ. So are we to do these things internally for other Christians and build them up? But, you know, if they're not Christians, we can, we can let them have it. Well, it, what bothers me is that that actually is the way many times we function. We build one another up. In the safe space of a church and we let the world have it outside. So this is saying the way you give witness to Jesus Christ is when you come to someone you, you ponder how can I answer in a way that is going to build up their strength toward God that will build up their understanding and their ability to apply the grace and love of Jesus Christ. So that's not just about saying true things to them, that's about relating to them with truth, fidelity and love. That's the truth in love paradox here. So, um, second thing that comes out of this is focus. We've got to frame the issue That we're talking about. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Remember that key going into the lock. Why, Paul? Why should we do that? That it may give grace to those who hear. Grace. That's the issue. The grace of Jesus Christ. What is that? The fact that he paid for our sins. My sins and your sins. That's grace. The forgiveness of sin that is free. The ongoing work of of God in us by his grace to make us like him when we're resisting him and pulling back from him. He does not leave us even then. Grace. So the words that we say to people, according to Ephesians, the apt answer we're to give is the answer that strengthens people in the grace of God. There is no other issue that we should be talking about right now with people outside the church. What is grace? What did Jesus do for me? And what will he do for you? Why is he so good? Why do I think that? What have I seen of his goodness? How have I been built up in the grace of God? Here again, it could be that one reason we're not giving that out to those who need it is we don't have it. We haven't experienced it. What we've experienced is tearing down. And if that's the case, then the way this turns around is God gives us a fresh experience of the grace and strengthening power of God to build us up through our fellowship together. If we experience that, we won't want to take anything else out. But you see how quickly the frame gets twisted if we start talking about political and cultural issues instead of dealing with the person who's right in front of us, if we give the speech about safe spaces instead of dealing with the person who's right in front of us, if we, if we give out self-indulgent opinions instead of giving the apt answer, what is ahead of us? If there's any joy out of that, it's self-indulgent joy Instead, if we're framing the issue as the grace of God, then the joy that comes out of that kind of apt answer is um, the kind of joy that Solomon is talking about in Proverbs. Okay, there's one more. Have you ever noticed this? That he goes directly from talking about what comes out of our mouths in verse 29 and verse 30. He goes to talking about the Holy Spirit. You ever notice this? Only say what will build up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And, what does and mean? it means in connection with what i just finished saying and in addition to that i want to add this about what i was just saying that's what and means and do not grieve the holy spirit of god you realize what he's saying if corrupting talk comes out of our mouths, if the frame is not the grace of God, you realize what's happening? He's saying it in in plain English here. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be an explanation for the falling off of the influence and witness of the church on the west coast of the United States? that we were grieving the Holy Spirit. And so in a withdrawal, I realize I'm, I'm going into difficult territory here, but in a withdrawal of the Spirit's power from the church, saying in grief, I will not be associated in my holiness with this. In that kind of move, wouldn't that explain what we are going through today? You see, what Paul does, he takes Proverbs 15.23 and he raises it up to a a level of the inconceivable holiness of God. And says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And in case we, we misunderstand what he's saying... He expands the idea, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, Paul, so what are we to do? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, malice. Wishing evil against people, that's what malice is. Slander, saying things about people that aren't true, or saying things about people when you really don't know whether they're true. Clamor, Facebook. Anger, wrath, bitterness instead of those which grieve the Holy Spirit verse 32 be kind to one another tender hearted oh no 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 I can't do that because if I am kind to the non-Christians around me then they will never know how wrong they are My job is to be that forehead of brass, you know, that that God gave Jeremiah. And I'm to be that confrontational prophet who has a license to be rude. And I'm supposed to say these things that wake them up to how bad they are. Listen, do you realize that we actually have a partner in evangelism, it's called the Holy Spirit. To work in kindness and tender-heartedness is to work with the Holy Spirit in the mission that He cares about more than we. James said it, the wrath of man will not produce, does not produce the righteousness of God. So be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. That's the way James puts it. Here the motivation is very simple. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Church, do that so that you will walk as children of light and not children of darkness. Because the world's already dark, It doesn't need any more of that. It needs the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then I'll check for questions here. Father, we need your grace and power in several different ways. We may need your grace and power to experience afresh, or for the first time, what it is, to receive truth that is not slash and burn. Maybe we've never experienced this at all. If that is the case, Lord, you know whose heart needs to be bound up and strengthened and built up. I pray that you would pour out this goodness upon their heart and life right now. It may be that we need that in a fresh way. We've experienced it before, but we need it new today. In that case, Father, pour out grace. We need your wisdom in your grace. We need it fresh every day. It may need that, may be that we are receiving your grace, but your grace is not escaping our mouths. If so, Father, you know how to convict, you know how to draw us up short, how to restrain us because self-control is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Give this to us, we pray, because we want to bring honor to your name. We want to see your kingdom flourish and we pray it in your name. Amen. Um, Question, how um, do we stand up to what our leaders Um, in government are um, not doing for Christ? Um, I'm going to interpret that question a little bit um, because I'm not sure precisely what that's saying, but how do we stand up when we see things that are wrong um, going on? I think you can't fail... If you take the approach of of, um, building up real people under the oppression of sin. In other words, if you go on to talk about an issue and you never get off the issue to how that real person in front of you is affected by this issue. Um, then I think we're just uh, giving empty speeches. But the minute we say, okay, there's an issue in our culture, we all know that, but let's talk about you. Where are you in relation to the grace of God? If you, you make that switch to having regard for the real individual right in front of you, especially when they disagree with you about an issue, you will reach their heart. More often than not, you'll form a partnership. Um, So that's a a very good question. By no means are we saying, zip it, don't talk about anything that anybody's going to disagree with, never murmur against anything, never express what you really think. No, we're just saying people first. Address the person, build them up. Keep the focus on the grace of God for that individual. Um, There is a way your body can support gentleness. Keep your palms up as you speak to people. It promotes grace. Palms clenched is the defensive stance. Body language matters. This is very good advice, and so one of the things you might need to do is to think about and become sensitive to when is my posture changing in a conversation. That will tell you what you're feeling even if you're not conscious of it. I use this kind of stuff all the time because it helps me keep, keep straight here. Oh, this is wonderful. Our sister sends us Romans 2, 4. The goodness of God or the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Check out Romans 2. Um, Okay, we've got a couple more here. I appreciate your patience with this. Lots of good questions coming in. What do we say to a person who thinks they are good on their own? No need for help or love. Um, Very good question. You can take one of two approaches. You can insist you are not good. So I will now tell you all the ways in which you are not good. Or and so, I'm not recommending that you do that. It's the opposite of the apt answer. Or you can say, what you want is to be good. You clearly value it. And it's important to you. But let me ask you something. You mentioned in this area that we should be good stewards of the environment, let's say. Isn't stewardship bigger than just the environment? Isn't there more that we are stewards of? What does it mean to be a steward? Who are you accountable to if you're a good steward of the environment? Isn't there someone standing over that environment to evaluate your stewardship, what could you tell me more about this, you see what I'm doing. I'm asking them a question about an, a problem or an inconsistency that I see in what they're saying and you, very often if you present an inconsistency of that kind and you might be able to think of better ones then you can work on those inconsistencies together. I use this constantly just to say well I agree with you about the nature of the problem, but I I do see the problem is a little bit bigger than what you're describing. And so you talk about those bigger issues. Um, That way you're following Paul's example on Mars Hill, Acts 17. I see that you are very religious, you value these things, you have all these gods, you have much piety, but you say you don't know this God. Let's talk about that one. Okay? That's all he did there. And uh, it was a powerful example. Drive-by shooting. Um, A simple bumper sticker does not always mean that you're preaching or shoving God down someone's throat. It can also be an encouragement to another. Maybe a smile or a simple reminder. It can be good. So I hope I can be an okay Christian believer and keep the bumper stickers. For sure. Um, the, what I'm suggesting here is that bumper stickers they may open up conversations, more likely they will shut them down because of just the nature of a bumper sticker, all you got is one phrase, an attitude being put out there, and maybe they size you up and say, "Well, I'm not going to talk to that person." Um, it's it's not a done deal. A bumper sticker or a T-shirt could shut down as many conversations as they open up, but in saying that, I I would not say that they are useless, or any of those kinds of things. Um, They could be, but be careful. It's not, uh, not a done deal.